What up, family? It's episode 108 of The Genius Life. Welcome aboard. What's poppin', everybody? It's your boy, Max Lugavere, health and science journalist, filmmaker, author of the New York Times bestseller, Genius Foods, and the new national bestseller, The Genius Life. I'm so excited to have you guys here for this episode of the show, in which I welcome my good friend, Dave Rubin. Dave is a bit of a political philosopher. He's got a great show on YouTube called The Rubin Report. Um, he rubs shoulders regularly with guys like Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, Joe Rogan. Um, super, super, super smart guy with a background in stand-up comedy. So he's also very funny. He's brilliant. And he's got a brand new book out called Don't Burn This Book. I really want you to listen to this episode of the show with an open mind. It's not about politics. It's about freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And ultimately, thinking for yourself in what seems to be the age of unreason. I love what Dave has to say. And though we are going to touch on politics in this episode, I want you to set politics aside and think about the true message underlying this interview. And that is that you really owe it to yourself to be a free thinker and to, and to form your own ideas about the world. I personally don't consider myself a part of any political party. I have some ideas that you might consider uh, more left-leaning, some ideas that consider more right-leaning, but ultimately what I care mostly about is individual freedom, health, and uh, and just you know having a good time in life and letting other people do the same. But what I see more and more from my vantage point in the world of health and nutrition is that there are a lot of people who act as what I've come to call nutrition justice warriors, where if you for a second have your own idea about what constitutes healthy living or healthy eating, they will come down on you and shame you and try to cancel you. And if you make a statement, um, you know, an empirically true uh, and valid scientific statement, for example, uh, that being overweight is not good for your health, they will come out at you and say that you are shaming people who are overweight when, in fact, you are not. You are making a statement about an idea about being overweight. Um, but what they will try to do is conflate that with making a statement about individual people. Um, and then they use that to basically rally up the lynch mob and come after you. I see the same thing whenever I make statements about organic food, uh, whenever I dare call ultra-processed foods junk food, which they will say is placing moral judgment on food, which is, how is that in any way placing moral judgment on food? It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. And so what I love about Dave is that this is really his thing. This is like what his mission is all about. It is getting people to think differently. And if that means ultimately having to ignore these uh, nutrition justice warriors or social justice warriors um, in the grander scheme of things, then that's what you got to do. And that's what I've learned to do. So I think his message is very helpful. And um, again, listen to it with an open mind because you might not agree with everything that he says, but that is okay. And uh, whatever the case may be, I look forward to hearing your feedback on this episode of the show, which you can send to me at any time by texting me at 310-299-9401. 
Before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode of the show, and that is Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic makes a very delicious line of super tasty medicinal mushroom infused coffees and elixirs. Actually, just as we start rolling, Dave Rubin himself cops to the fact that he uh, is a huge fan of mushroom coffees, which he mentions a few times over the course of this episode. And uh, I don't know the exact brand that he uses, but I'm gonna uh, assume that he's using Four Sigmatic because they're super popular and my cabinets are full of Four Sigmatic products. And uh, you know, their mushrooms um, can serve many purposes in your life. They have reishi, which is supposed to, which is purported to help you chill out uh, in the evening hours. They've got lion's mane, which can dial in focus and attention and might support cognitive function. They have their chaga, which is often referred to as an immune supporting mushroom. And you can get their medicinal mushrooms in their organic instant coffees. All their products, I believe, are vegan. Uh, so you can, you know, whether or not you are on the omnivore train, uh, feel free to partake in what Four Sigmatic has to offer, either via their coffees or their elixirs. They're all super tasty. They're all super delicious. And if you go to foursigmatic.com slash max or use promo code max, you'll get to save 15% off of anything in their online store, which is a significant amount of cheddar to save during these tumultuous times. So again, that is foursigmatic, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash max or use promo code max and you'll get to save 15% off of anything that you uh, choose to buy. Next up, I want to give some love to Mackenzie B. from KC, who is an iTunes user who left this glowing review for the show on iTunes, and she left us five stars. Mackenzie wrote, Hi, Max. I listen to your podcast during my morning workouts most days. I love the diversity of your speakers, and I appreciate your inclusion of women's health. I feel like I always walk away with some new knowledge after listening. My definition of living a genius life is moderation in all things, meditation, and setting good intentions. Well, Mackenzie, I am super down with what you had to say about the show, and uh, I also really appreciate that you... Um, notice that I am super into having uh, diversity of thought on this on the show, and so that is uh, you know that's a great reason why I chose to have my friend Dave Rubin on the show, even though he is not you know a health expert or anything like that. Um, he's a brilliant guy, and he's going to get you to think differently over the course of the next hour. I promise you that. So um, yeah, to all you guys out there who've taken the time to leave a rating and review, I really appreciate that. I read all of your reviews. And uh, let me know what I could be doing to improve the show. I really uh, want to hear from you. You can also text me, as I mentioned earlier. You can join my newsletter at maxlugavir.com. We've got many points of access uh, here at The Genius Life. So whichever way, however deep you want to go down the genius uh, rabbit hole, be my guest. It's all good. It's all gravy. So now, without further ado... I'm pumped to roll up my sleeves and dive in with my good friend, Dave Rubin, who also has a, his first book ever is out this week, and it's called Don't Burn This Book, Thinking for Yourself in an Age of Unreason. Dave Rubin, he's the man, and uh, now without further ado, let's rock. Here we go, Mr. Dave Rubin, thank you so much for being on The Genius Life. Max, I don't know that I will be able to quite hit the level of genius with you, but I did take my mushroom supplements this morning and my collagen powder and my coffee, and I'm going to give it everything I got. 
I like it. Well, dude, I'm so I'm so excited to have you on because we've been friends for a very long time at this point, and I've seen you ascend the ranks to superstardom, and you've got your <laughs> new book coming out, which I'm, I love. I'm like halfway through it. Don't burn this book. It's amazing. Um, and I think it's so crucially important. And our worlds are kind of separate. You know, I'm not sure how many of my listeners are going to be familiar with your work, but I certainly have experienced a lot of what you talk about in this book in my little world of nutrition. So for people who might not have heard of you, um, let's like go into your, your backstory uh, and, and, you know, leading up to the point at which you wrote this book and why you wrote this book. Sure. So there's a lot there. First off, let me repay the compliment because watching your ascension throughout this has been has been pretty sweet, too. And I'm not just saying that to pat you on the back, but one of the cool things that I think I've been able to experience over the last, you know, five, six, seven years because of doing an interview show like this is I get to interview people and then a year or two goes by, four years go by, and some people have just disappeared off the map. Some people are doing other things. Some people putter out or whatever. And then some people actually, because they were doing something good and they had their head on straight and they had a goal and they had purpose and they went for it, you can see them moving towards that. And you're one of those people. And I also like, as I always tell you when I have you on, for me that, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a political beast and, and a free speech guy and that whole thing, which we'll get into. It's nice when I can do a show that's a little bit a little bit off of that, you know what I mean? And and even though, as you just alluded to, a lot of the topics that we talk about, you've been hit by, say, some of the outrage culture related to food, yeah. where I talk about it from a from a political nature. So there is this odd overlap. And then one other thing, which is that many of the things that you've talked about, like mushroom supplements and the right that I've incorporated into my life, and especially in the last like couple weeks, while where we've been trapped by Corona. And we're doing all the cooking ourselves, which we, we pretty much do anyway. Um, but I've become a much better cook. I'm really trying to take care of myself and know that because of being on a press tour with a book and all that good stuff, that I wanted to be in the right mindset and, and the right body. I'm, I'm pretty much at my lowest weight in about 15 years wow. uh, and, and feeling pretty good about things. So all that being said, uh, I, am, uh, I am the host of The Rubin Report, which is an interview, old school Larry King-esque talk show. I like talking to people without trying to destroy them and get them, just really hearing their ideas. That means sometimes I sit down with people who I really like and I dig their ideas, and it means sometimes I do sit down with people who I maybe don't love that much and whose ideas are not great. Um, but that is uh, what I love to do. I love to sort of try to piece together my worldview and, and map that against somebody else's worldview and see who makes sense. And I think really what put me on the map more than anything else, say from the point where we met years ago uh, to now, is that I was very open about my own political evolution. I was open about the fact that I was wrong about a couple things. I was right about a couple things. The people that I thought were sort of the good guys maybe weren't as good as I thought, and the people that I thought were the bad guys maybe weren't as bad as I thought. And I think by being open about that, which actually is how most people are. Most people are working through things, thinking through things and all that. Um, I think I mapped something for other people to be able to say, oh, I'd like to learn a little bit more about this or, or the crazy one, you're not gonna believe this, I don't know everything about everything, right? <laughs> like everyone on Twitter knows, every, people know everything about the Iran deal, they know everything about crime statistics, they know everything about how to solve coronavirus, they know everything about, and it's like, come on guys, you can't even tie your shoes. So <laughs> I've, tried to, I've tried to just create a little bit of space for maybe people to say, I don't know, but here are the principles I believe in, here, here are some good ideas, and let's let them flourish. Yeah, and ultimately what your book is about and what your whole message is is about getting people to think for themselves. 
And I think when when it really clicked for me, like what you were trying to push out into the world was, um, you know, when I saw you give a talk at a, it was like a recorded talk at a college where people were like protesting you and you were just. Oh, I think this was University of New Hampshire is probably the one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And and where I feel like I really resonated with your message was that, you know, and I think a lot of people can relate to this, that like this call out culture, you know, like that everything now has to be labeled, labeled with a trigger warning. If you're saying anything with any real substance, um, like you're like a foot soldier on the ground, on the ground fighting that. And I, and I, and I so appreciate it. Yeah, well, well, thanks. Um, I think you're talking about University of New Hampshire because that, that thing really went viral. And it's like a, a, an hour, hour and a half long talk that I gave, which it's so interesting because the talk itself was supposed to be at the University of New Hampshire, but due to the protesters, who probably had no idea what I really believe about anything, but just, you know, they get a, they see something on Twitter and then they're ready to fight and they're ready to protest and they're ready to shout people down. Due to the protesters, the university said, we can't even host this. We cannot secure a room, meaning that there could be violence. So we're not even gonna host it on our campus. So they took an event that was supposed to be ticketed for I think 300 students and it was sold out. And they sent us to a hockey rink that was for about 6,000 people. So I'm giving a talk now for 300 people in a, in a hockey rink of 6,000 people, which was quite bizarre in and of itself. Then because of all the, the chaos that erupted over the few hours before, the university, there were hundreds of other students that wanted to get in. They wouldn't let them in, even though we had about 5,700 extra seats. Uh, and then they decided to let tons of protesters in. And uh, for, for any of you audience, your audience that hasn't seen it, you know, I lay out some pretty basic common sense ideas and I'm happy to share any of my political beliefs with you and I think most people would find them to be not that radical. Uh, but what was most interesting about it was I go up there and I make a point of saying, you know, if you disagree with me when we get to the Q&A portion, I will gladly take your questions first. Let's talk this stuff out. And they bring noisemakers and they're shouting me down and they, they time things so that at different points their phones vibrate so that a few of them can stand up and scream at once and then I can't get that far because another one does. And there's a couple really interesting moments in that. There's one moment where two kids, and they're kids, you know, they're students, but they're kids. These two kids stand up and they're in maybe the third row and they just start mindlessly chanting. I don't even remember what they were saying, but they're just repeating the same phrase over and over. And it has nothing to do with anything that I'm talking about or thinking. And I walk right up to them and I get in front of them and we're maybe, I don't know, six feet, you know, social distance. We're six feet away from each other. And I'm looking at them and I'm saying, guys, look at me, look at me. I'm right here in front of you. Instead of just chanting uh, these slogans, why don't you ask me a question or, or, you know, let me know what I said that offended you or anything. And they wouldn't even look at me because they don't even want to humanize you. That's how sort of dangerous the cancel culture and the mob fueled thing has become. The one other part that I'll mention out of that is that there was a woman in the back who was screaming that I'm a Nazi and all of this horrible stuff. And and I grew up with Holocaust survivors in my family. I mean, I the idea of this is just so, it's so perverse and absurd. But this person screaming I'm a Nazi and all this stuff, I didn't find out till later. Oh, oh, and she was saying that she's trans and I hate trans people and this whole thing. And I'm going on and on about how I want trans people to be treated with respect and I hope she has people that love her in her life and I want her to have equal access to a job and anything else 
The only thing that I don't want is I don't want the government to be able to dictate what pronouns I use to a trans person. Now, of course, if you treat me with respect, I'll treat you with respect, but it would be a very dangerous thing, and this is sort of what put Jordan Peterson on the map in Canada, if the government was to decide if you misgender someone, accidentally, intentionally, whatever it might be, that you could be fined or imprisoned. I mean, that that is super, super dangerous, and that, that should be obvious to anyone. But whether, whether I as a human treat you with respect, that, that's on me. And of course, any trans person I've ever met or ever come across, including this person, this woman who was yelling at me, uh, calling me a Nazi, I was still treating her with respect. I didn't find out till weeks later that it turned out that that trans woman who was screaming at me, trying to silence a speaker that was invited to the university, was a gender studies professor at the university. I mean, try to imagine that level of insanity happening at a university, a professor who is who is purportedly there to defend the honor of the university and the principles of the university using their voice to shout down a silent speaker. And that really is sort of the the craziness that we've seen spread throughout the campus uh, situation. So insane. I'm not a political political expert. Politics are, are pretty far from my wheelhouse, but I would like, come on, Max. I, you're an expert in everything. That's what you have to do. It's 2020. It's 2020. But I, I mean, I would think that the left would be pro free speech. And what you're saying is ultimately a message of like, let's just it's like the First Amendment rights, essentially. I mean, I believe in free speech. I believe in individual rights, meaning that every single person that is a member of any society that they live in legally ha should have the same exact rights as everybody else, regardless of your gender, your skin color, your sexuality, or any other immutable characteristic, even where you're from, as long as you're a, a, a member of that society. Uh, you should be treated equally. Now, I think what's happened with the left, unfortunately, is that liberals who are generally open-minded and decent and tolerant, and I come from what I would call a good liberal New York family. You know, when I, when I say liberal, I mean JFK, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, liberalism, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, Ed Koch. You're, you're a New York guy too, so like New York, old New York City mayor, Ed Koch, to me was like the ultimate liberal. He was, a, he was sort of an open-minded, knew we had to do something with government. I know he's a little bit before your time, and like sort of before my time, but, but ran that city of eight million people that had come from every walk on earth and ran it for everybody because he didn't give anybody special treatment. That really is liberalism. And what has happened, unfortunately, is that progressives who really believe in collectivism. So when I say individual rights, I mean individual rights. Everyone's treated the same. Collect, uh, progressives tend to believe in collectivism more, meaning they view you, if you're black, you should kind of think this. If you're gay, you should kind of think this. You're a woman, you should kind of think this. It's, it's incredibly dangerous and actually insulting to what being a human is because, you, Max, you happen to be a, a straight white guy, but that is not the summation of everything you are. And I hope and I know that you have a plethora of ideas that you've plucked from different things to hopefully what we all want to do is have some kind of cohesive worldview. When you, when you look at black people and you say, well, black people should think this, white people should think this, or the worst of all, the, the straight white Christian man should you know, think this, you've eliminated the spark that is the most important piece of all of us, which is your individuality. And I think what progressives did, they saw that liberal, ah, liberals are kind of open-minded, and they used that weak underbelly of liberalism, which is hard for me to admit as a liberal, that, that liberalism does have a weakness in a way, they saw that and they got in there and, and in effect they've infected the host, which has sort of explained why the Democrats have really 
the, the party that I used to belong to and in many ways should still belong to, I have nothing to do with them anymore because it has infected the entire thing. So it's even like even Joe Biden, who let's say he's more of an old school Democrat or a, or a moderate in a certain way, you know, he spoke at this LGBT forum and he said to them, it's not what your birth gender is that should decide what prison you go to, it's what gender you identify as. And it's like, we all know that is a crazy thing to say. There's gonna be an awful lot of male rapists suddenly going to women's prisons. But unfortunately, liberals don't seem to have the right tool set to fight against that. And that in many ways is what is what the book is about. Yeah, it's like there are those stories of transgendered women competing in physical contact sports with people who were assigned female from birth. It's ridiculous. Right, and the, and the feminists then say it's okay. And it's like, what? I thought you were for women. Now, I'm not against trans people competing, but if this is really becoming an issue, then either we should have a, a, a male division, a female division, and then have a trans division, or we should have an honest discussion about what's actually happening here. What are the differences between men and women? Men have something called testosterone. Men generally have bigger muscles and different aggression habits and all of these things that we all know to be true. And yet because of the shrieking, the, the mob, the outrage, outrage culture, even if you were to just say there's biological differences between men and women, people are actually afraid to say that. And, and that's why I'm trying to break people out of the political closet here, because I think good people are now afraid to say what they think, but this is the freest freaking country in the history of the world. And if you're walking around not saying what you think, just think what your grandparents or your great-grandparents or what your ancestors had to live through way before you for you to walk around with an iPhone and a Netflix subscription and all of the stuff that we all have, even even poor people in America, and, and thinking that you're you're somehow evil or you shouldn't speak. It's, it's embarrassing, actually, but it's been a great trick that they've pulled on us. Yeah, the way that I think about it, because, I, again, my brain, like, I just don't, you know, like, I politics, I often when I learn about how the political system works, it's like in one ear and out the other. It's just the way that my brain works. I'm into what I'm into. Um, yeah. But the way that I've the way that I've come to understand it, it's like people tend to think of like left, right, Democrat, Republican as being like on this linear spectrum. But actually, it's more circular. And what I think you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that some on the left have become so radicalized that it's kind of looped back around to become like the new conservative. Yeah. In a way well, where you can't say what you really feel about things and you get yeah, so shamed and shunned and canceled for doing so. A lot of people have talked about this, and you're right. First of all, we should note that this is cyclical. So right now, the left is sort of particularly bananas right now. But, you know, it's it's the right that 20 years ago, it was John McCain and Joe Lieberman on the right, conservatives, who were trying to ban violent video games, right? They were trying to get Mortal Kombat out of stores. So this doesn't mean that the right is so spectacular at all of these things. and And they do change over time. And the other piece of this, of course, uh, we've somehow managed to talk for 15 or so minutes without saying the T word, but Trump came in and flipped the whole game up. You know what I mean? He he took the chessboard and just went like this and the pieces are all over the place. So that's why when people say, oh, I'm left, I'm right, or I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, to me, none of that really makes sense anymore. The way I would view it is, you're either an authoritarian or you're a libertarian. And by that, I mean, I don't mean you're a member of the libertarian party, but by authoritarian, you, you believe that some sort of central power can sort of fix everything and then, and then share that downward. 
or you're a libertarian, meaning you think individual people know what's best for, for them, and then can hopefully, hopefully, build something decent above them that, that is a, a structure that they can all work within. It's very obvious that I fall in that camp, but I think what's happening on the left, right, like the Bernie people, the real progressive thing, they want they their answer to everything. If there's a problem, government is the answer. And generally, my belief is that government is the problem. And you know, it's funny right now with with coronavirus and everything we're going through, you see a lot of people on the left who've been saying, "Oh, we need more government." They'll, first, they'll tell you government screwed this whole thing up. That's why we have coronavirus. Then they'll say we need more government to fix the problem. And it's like. Well, you got to pick one because also the guy you've been saying is Hitler the whole time is in charge of government. So you normally wouldn't say, Hitler, can you give me a hand here? So there's so many inconsistencies in the worldview that I think the best thing we can do as humans is I want you, Max, and anyone listening to this, to live the, the life that you want to live and do whatever you want and think whatever you want. You just can't do it on my property. And we have to have some laws beyond just that. You know, we have to have some laws to to keep the rails on society. But I would always prefer to figure out how to do it without the law, without government, rather than with government. And that is what I would say the fundamental sort of struggle is right now, more than Democrat, Republican, something like that. Yeah, so how can people get better at thinking for themselves? <laughs> well, that's a good one. Well, first off, it starts with avocado and good, uh, <laughs> good fish oil and eating salmon and grass-fed butter and all that good stuff. Um, and I'm actually only slightly kidding with that because if you do do those things, you will be able to think a little bit clearer. And as you know, I've done sort of like a uh, last like two years been doing like a slow carb kind of paleo ish thing. Um, and I do feel better. I genuinely feel better. And uh, even right now, I, I really we haven't even been doing cheat days while we've been trapped. Like, because we didn't have room in the freezer for ice cream, unlike Nancy Pelosi, who's got those two $24,000 freezers and all that ice cream. It's like in a pandemic, Ice cream doesn't make it into the freezer, you know? Like we have that thing, we have that thing stocked with a lot of meat and a lot of chicken and that kind of stuff and veggies. Um, so that, the, that part of it that, that I know goes to what you care about um, is for sure. I would say beyond that, don't think that you have to be part of a team. To say I'm a Republican, so that is the summation of all of the things that I believe, or I'm a Democrat, and that is the summation of all the things I believe. That's a really dangerous thing because, you know, a Democrat or Republican, that, that's a political party. And a political party is just coming together with a set of ideas and saying, these are the set of ideas we believe in. And that's not really how our brains work. So it's like, you could be, say, for gay marriage, that's thought of as something that's democratic, although actually most Republicans don't care anymore. But you could be for gay marriage and you could also be for low taxes. That's something that's thought of as on the right. Now, I actually think there's a very cohesive way you could view both of those things, which is that the government should have very little to do with who you marry and the government should actually take less of your money. That would be more of a libertarian view. But I bring that up because it's basically like you shouldn't be sitting there going, I got to pick one of these and then that's it. And I'm going to stop thinking. You got to go, all right, well, I'm for gay marriage. I'm for low taxes. I'm pro-choice, I'm for strong defense. Pick all of those things, and then at the end, if you're a, if you're a uh, caring or, or functional member of society, hopefully when you go into that ballot box, you don't just look at it and be like, all right, D, 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 my job is done. You'd hopefully go, I did a little research, and by the way, it can be very confusing at times, because you know here in LA when you vote, they put on all of these propositions and you have to read it right then and there, and it's very confusing. You're like, wait, I am for this, but I have to vote no so that it happens, or yes on that means that it won't happen, and 
all this confusing stuff, which I think is confusing by design, but that hopefully you would go into the voting box uh, booth, whatever it is at that point, and say, I've got some sense of what I basically believe in. So if low taxes, so I'm a low tax guy, I want you to keep as much as you can, and I wanna figure out other ways for things to be done than, than through taxes. So when I look at most of those initiatives, I almost always vote no. Because what you see on a lot of initiatives is they'll be like, oh, for, uh, you know, it's something, it always sounds good. It's like, we're gonna fund schools, you know, an extra $500 million for Los Angeles schools. And you're like, oh, well, that's a great idea. And then you read a little further and they're like, but your taxes are gonna have to go up X amount. And then you read a little further where they know nobody's right at that point. And it'll say the only way this will happen every year going forward until it's repealed by voters. But voters never ever take anything back. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We give things away, we never take it back. So I would say you just wanna be a little bit more informed. And by the way, I would also say a lot of this stuff, it's sort of what you said, it comes and goes. And if you're not a political beast, it's like how much time can you devote to it? I would say, and this is how I end the book, you know, you don't wanna devote your whole life to this. I think it's much more important to live your ideals and then hopefully some politicians will start modeling them too. Um, because politics in and of itself, you know, the people that are endlessly political for as political as I am, the people that are endlessly political are pretty miserable. You can see this on Twitter. The people who only view the world, we really see it right now with Corona. Like despite the virus and, and the deaths and all the, the tumult and the economy and all that, um, I, I'm very hopeful for the world. I think a new world is on the horizon. I think, I think maybe Gen X is gonna finally take the reins from the baby boomers. I'm hopeful for tech, I'm hopeful for so many things. But if you purely view the world in like a political lens, Trump did this today, the Democrats did this today, that will just lead you to misery because you cannot find your salvation through you know, the machinations of what Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell did on uh, Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, I love one of the chapters in your book, the title, it's uh, checking, checking your facts and not your privilege. And that resonated with me. I would love to hear what you think about this. Oftentimes in the nutrition space, when you will when you make empirical statements about food like donuts and bagels and processed foods are junk foods, there's a small but growing sort of niche online of these nutrition influencers. And I, and I won't name them by name, but they'll be like, check your privilege. You know, those are like, <laughs> <laughs> those are the, those foods are the only foods that some people have, you know, like, yeah. And and I feel like very early on in your book, you say um, that it's intellectually you talk about how intellectually ridiculous it is to conflate making a statement about an idea or like, you know, f food in this example um, and like pointing fingers at the individual person. So what? Yeah. So, yeah. So go into that a little bit if you can unpack well, that. First off, uh, Max, I will tell you, as a Jew born in Brooklyn from Long Island, it pains me to tell people that bagels are probably not the healthiest thing for you, right? <laughs> and we one day in the midst of the, the corona thing, I, we bought some bagels at Whole Foods and we had bagels and locks and it was amazing, but it's not something we would eat every day because you're getting a crazy amount of carbs. There's a guy I know who knows a little something about bread and, and you wouldn't want to put that amount of carbs and all, that, all of that stuff in your body. That, that's just sort of a basic thing. But your point there is really right because the idea of separating ideas and people is hugely important. So when you say to your audience, you know, you shouldn't eat these refined sugars and white bread and all these things, now, there might be a certain set of people that eat more of that, partly because of economic reasons, partly because of, of education, poor education, whatever it might be, partly because of, of, of ethnic reasons that people eat different ethnicities, eat, eat different foods. Though That's all real. 
But that doesn't change the facts about what is good to eat and what is not good to eat. And I think a lot of people on the left have really confused this, that you have to be able to talk about ideas without criticizing people. Mm. Uh, the, the, the most simple version of this I can give, and I, I lay this out in the book, and you may have seen that I dedicated the book to Ben Affleck. <laughs> and it's not because I've met Ben Affleck, but it's because one of my real seminal moments of waking up, going from woke to awake, I would say, is because of Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, about five or six years ago, was on Real Time with Bill Maher, and Sam Harris was there. I know you know of Sam Harris. And um, Sam was there to discuss his book, Waking Up, A Guide to Spirituality Without Religion. And he was on the same side of the table as Bill, meaning it was gonna be the one-on-one -on -one interview and Ben was on the other side. Anyway, they started talking about ideas and religion, something, I didn't even know who Sam was, by the way, at the time. This is the first time I had ever seen this guy speak. Um, and they started talking about how you have to separate ideas and people, meaning you should be able to criticize any religion. You could criticize the Old Testament. That doesn't mean you hate Jews. You could criticize the New Testament. Doesn't mean you hate uh, Christians. And you could criticize the Quran. It doesn't mean that you hate Muslims. That's all they were saying, that you have to separate you wouldn't want to be bigoted towards a Muslim person, but you could, uh, you can criticize an idea the same way you could criticize the idea of a political party. That doesn't mean you hate every Democrat, right? So this is something that we all know, and you just have to think about for a second, and then you really understand it. In effect, that's what the Bill and Sam were agreeing on, and Ben Affleck turned to them and he said, "You guys are gross and racist." And there was nothing racist about what they said. There was nothing gross, but what was most interesting about it was he was really angry. He was pounding his hands on the table. He had moral indignation. It seemed like he was standing up for the little guy. All of the tricks that unfortunately the left has sort of perfected where they, they appear to be morally right, but the fact of what was being said, there was nobody being prejudiced or, or bigoted or anything like that. And then what I saw happen over the next few weeks and months was suddenly the left, and I'm talking about BuzzFeed and Vox and HuffPo and all of those things, were suddenly turning on Bill Maher and saying that Bill Maher was racist only because Batman said it. And that this other guy, Sam Harris, this neuroscientist, that he was racist. And, I, and that really was one of my real waking up points because I, as you know, I was on the Young Turks at the time, pretty far left network, and I had had some ideological issues that I had been thinking about all of these things. It can't be that everyone that we're opposed to is a bigot and a racist and a homophobe. It, it just can't be. How are we so morally right and they're so morally wrong? It's too easy, right? But then when I saw it so starkly, and it, I think it did have something to do with Affleck himself, like it was like watching an actor go crazy. And, and then suddenly it became so clear to me. So that, that specific thing, it's like if you tell somebody, you know, you shouldn't eat that much white bread and someone says you're racist because you know these people eat a lot of white bread but it's like meat all right so should i tell them to eat white bread we know white bread isn't good for you right we know it they've stripped the nutrients of this should i would that make you feel better even though it's going to lead to more health problems for them and unfortunately there's a certain set of people that their answer to that is yes just give us the easy answers so we don't have to think about anything. And that's, again, why I'm so interested in this, because you, you have to deal with your own food version of this, science version of this, where it's very much a political thing, too. And that shows you how good ideas can spread well and bad ideas can infect almost everything. Yeah. And it's also what underlies, I think, like this, the call out culture and the cancel culture. And like, again, we see it in, in you know, mainstream politics in terms of the just, you know, 
on social media, with comedians, with actors, you know, things like that. But you also see it in nutrition. If you promote for a second organic food, there's a certain group of people that will call you out for promoting organic food because not everybody has access to it. Yeah, see, it's just it's just lazy thinking. And I think f for you in the, in the line of work you do, it's either you gotta, you gotta ignore them. I mean, I think it's, at a certain point you do have to ignore them. I don't mean ignore people with good ideas that may be counter to your ideas. But, but when something is so hysterically over the top, it's so ideologically driven over reality, at some point you can counter it for a while and then you kind of have to move on. Because part of, I think, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get good people to wave the flag. It's like they're trying to go, oh, well, Max is, is saying some stuff. We, we know it's true, but it, it strikes us as offensive or dangerous or something. And it's kind of like if we could just take him out, then the next one won't come up. And, and the way I would compare that is in my world, is that you know every few weeks there's a there's a media matters campaign to take out Tucker Carlson. Now I happen to like Tucker. I go on his show all the time. I don't agree with everything. We have some major political disagreements actually. He wants to regulate big tech. I don't. That's one of the closest ones to my heart that we completely disagree on. However, well first off I would defend his right to free speech and to disagree with me. But when they always attack Tucker, it's not that they're just trying to take Tucker out. It's what they're trying to do is they're trying to signal to all of his viewers Ah, see, we can take millionaire, nice suit, Fox News, Tucker Carlson out, so you better shut up. You better sit there and be quiet, because if we can take him out, we can make sure you get fired from your job, too, if you speak up. And that's why I always go out of my way to defend these people. And I've also defended plenty of other people that, that I don't like. I've defended their, their right to free speech. I mean, even someone who I think is, is really a, a true danger to society, someone like Linda Sarsour, who's been fully embraced by the, the Bernie campaign, she was invited to speak at the City University in New York and then they were gonna rescind it and I stood up for her. Not because I believe in anything she says, you could take almost everything she says and apply the 180 to it and that's what I believe, but once the school invited her, they have to be able to honor that invite. I, I suppose I would prefer they didn't invite her, but if a, if a group did, then, then you gotta defend that and you gotta try to have ideals when it's tough to have them. So what are the solutions to that? Because I, I really call out culture, cancel culture. I mean, it drives me crazy. What are like, is there a light at the end of the tunnel or is it just going to get worse and worse and worse as you see? <laughs> well, I'm a world weary optimist, right? So I don't think I could do what I do and sort of say what I think if I didn't think there was a chance it could get better. Otherwise, that would be a pretty freaking miserable <laughs> existence, right? And, that, and that's not what I'm in this for. So I, I'm hopeful and I'm particularly hopeful right now, as I said, with coronavirus right now, there is, there is a true upheaval of ideas. People are finally thinking about, can the government do everything for us? Do we need more competition? Do we need more decentralized government? Should states behave differently? That's the way it was supposed to be set up, by the way, in the Constitution. I mean, if you live where we live in California or you live in New York, so the two places where you and I happen to have lived, it's like those places have very different problems right now, New York City especially, than Montana. So federal, the, the idea that the federal government should do everything is sort of a crazy idea. We have to give power back to the states, give power back to the cities, the local communities. And I think I'm hopeful also because I think people are gonna start rethinking how they wanna live. Do you wanna live in a big city where you don't have a backyard and can't have a garden, but maybe now you suddenly realize, you know, I kinda do wanna grow a little bit of my own food. Or I don't wanna live on top of people and pay 5,000 bucks a month for a one bedroom apartment when I could literally have five acres in Idaho, you know, probably ch even cheaper than that. So I'm hopeful that 
we're at a time where we're in a very unique time. You know, there's the Chinese proverb, may you live in interesting times. And people think that means may you live in interesting times like fun times. It's actually a curse. People don't know that, that when they say that, it's a curse actually because interesting times, that means there's gonna be a lot of upheaval. There's gonna be a lot of things changing. And I think that adds to the craziness. There's sort of an old guard that is really worried right now that the world that they knew doesn't really exist anymore, or it may not exist much further. And I'm not interested in, in ripping up the old world, by the way. I, you know, the people that came before us and, and you know, the boomers and the generation before them that fought World War II and all of these things, they did incredible things that have led us to, be, to live privileged lives, but I don't mean privileged because we're white or privileged because of our gender. I mean privileged because we're American. These people did it before us. So I don't wanna rip all that up. And, and that's sort of like, Bernie was sort of like, let's burn the whole thing down. And what I think you have to do is, you don't burn it down. You look at it honestly and go, okay, here are the places we can make small moves and here are the places we can make small moves. And those guys just want different small moves than I want. But within that, you'll basically keep something free. But the, all of these people that come in that have the answers for everything, and if only we could be more like Sweden, you know, that's a big one. I went to Sweden, I did a couple shows in Sweden. Sweden has a major problem about free speech and political correctness. Good people are completely afraid to say what they think. The two shows that I did in Stockholm with Jordan Peterson sold out in two minutes two minutes, because they just wanted to hear somebody speak freely about things. Uh, Sweden's also a very homogenous society that since they finally brought immigrants in in the last few years now has a huge other problem. So it's like when they compare us to these countries, it's like, you can't, everybody has come to America and everyone's better off for it. That is so freaking special and unique and incredible that we better not throw the baby, uh, uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater because we will seriously regret it. Yeah. Can you at, at the same time acknowledge like whatever privilege you may have and yet not have to apologize for it? Well, no. it depends what you mean by privilege. So if you were to tell me that you have privilege, meaning that you grew up, I, I, I think you, you grew up in New York City, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll be the first to yeah. say I'm pretty privileged. I'm six so, one. I'm so, male. But, I'm white. I grew up in New York City. Yeah. So, right. So, okay. So first off on the, on the immutable characteristics of, I don't view your, your gender or your sexuality or your gender identity as privilege. That, that's just a fat an immutable trait that you have. Now, if, if by privilege people mean that, that your parents worked really hard. So you went to a good school and had a good home life and your mom cooked for you and whatever it is, if that's privilege, then we should be proud of that privilege. Hmm. You know, we've somehow done something very backwards here where the only people who are allowed to be proud are people who sort of had nothing or were from abused families or there was a murder or, or like some horrible thing happened and they grew up on the wrong side of the tracks and they somehow survived. Well, guess what? It's not, nobody just gave your parents stuff to magically become amazing and, and become people that could provide for their children. I guarantee you, if you go back, and I trace this in my own family, that my grandfather, Aaron, moved, his father moved here. His father then died. His father moved here from Belarus. His father died when he was two years old. He was one of six children in a one-bedroom apartment in, on Delancey Street on the Lower East Side. Uh, they then had to move to another family house where uh, my, my, his wife, so it's before my grandmother, had a husband that also died. They had, they had like basically 12 children in two rooms. My grandfather, I remember he died when I was in second grade, but I literally remember him telling me that his first job paid him 25 cents an hour. Now, he then worked really, really hard with, with a lot of bad jobs and he was in World War II and the whole thing. 
to then become sort of lower middle class to maybe just about middle class in Brooklyn before Brooklyn was cool. Then my dad, because of that, was able to work really hard and go to college. And then I grew up in Long Island in middle class to maybe slightly upper middle class. And then I'm doing okay too. There's nothing to be shameful shamed about that for you. You should honor it. The second you say I'm privileged because I grew up in something okay, you're actually spitting on the people who came before you. So um, I think it's a really dangerous, you should have no guilt hmm. over any of the success that got you to where you are. No one gave the Lugavirs anything on the way over, right? Where, wherever your ancestors are from, whatever part of Europe they're from, no, you know, whether, you, whether you're an Italian immigrant or an Irish immigrant or a Jewish immigrant or wherever you're from, you're from Jamaica, you're from wherever, guess what? Everyone came here and you bust your ass hoping that the next guy can have it better. That's American privilege. That's the privilege we have. I love that. So true. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, you have avocado privilege. That's it. <laughs> I have avocado privilege. You have a tremendous amount of avocados at all time. I have no doubt about that. <laughs> um, so it's, it's really funny to me that like, you know, your biggest critics are like, you know, they would probably self-describe as being on the left, being liberal. But you're pretty, I mean, you are a liberal guy you're pro you're gay married i, I mean i know I that yeah i'm gay married i'm not just saying i'm for gay marriage i actually married a dude i mean that's that's pretty good you know because these people just want a virtue signal all day i was like you know what i will live with a guy and sleep in a bed with a guy for the rest of my life just to prove a point with these idiots <laughs> no i'm look i'm pro-choice i talk about in the book that's going to obviously upset a lot of my conservative fans. I, I'm against the death penalty i'm for some level of public education i'm, I'm for dignity with death and you making the right choices for your family members at the end. I know that's something obviously that's very dear to you. These are thought of as lefty things. Um, but unfortunately, like most sort of what I would say are decent liberals, old school liberals, that has nothing to do with the modern left. If you know, They've made a point of saying, for example, uh, the, the head of the DNC, I think, said this, uh, uh, Tom Perez, or maybe it was the deputy head, but basically said, if you're pro-life, you we have no room for you in our party. What a crazy thing to say. So that you're saying I could agree with you on everything else, but the pro-life one, you're not part of the Democrats. And that's why what I see happening right now is that on the right, there's an interesting mix of sort of MAGA Trump people, old school, more traditional conservatives, libertarians, who I really generally agree with on most of the stuff, and then I would say some disaffected liberals who are all coming, kind of coming together. It doesn't mean they agree on everything, but why is it that a guy like me, who I just laid out my lefty cred, why would I tell you that my biggest political allies right now are conservative Ben Shapiro, or you know, libertarian Glenn Beck, conservative Dennis Prager, where there's pretty much nobody on the left? You know what I get on the left? I get a couple public people who won't associate with me publicly, who privately will tell me that they like me. So that, that tells you about the hysterical nature of this thing. So what are their, what are their criticisms of you that, you know, like what, what would, what, like the, the, the transgendered person that uh -oh. was in that lecture that was um, calling out those obscenities to you? I mean, what? Well, generally they don't know. I mean, they don't really know. Like you, you can watch the video and you can see me treat this woman with respect. There's not even a moment of anything close to disrespect. I, I, tell her that I want for her what I want for literally everyone else. But what the problem is, and this is why social justice is so dangerous, it's not that they want equality, they want to use it as a cudgel to have more power over you. Mm. So that you, you should only speak with the words they want you to speak with. You should only be able to say the things they want you to say. And, and if that is your starting point, which that's what she was offering me, 
Well, then then we do have a problem, yeah. right? Then we do have to fight this thing out. And and I would say that I'm not above criticism. I actually like, you know, when people criticize my interview style sometimes or say, you know, oh, you should ask this follow-up question, this or that. When it's when it's well-intentioned and you're not trying to take me out or make sure I can't get sponsors or mob me, I like it. And I, by no stretch, think I'm a perfect political thinker or, or a perfect interviewer or a perfect human. So I like well-reasoned criticism I actually really like. And we all need it too, right? It's like you don't know absolutely the sum total of knowledge of everything you want to know about nutrition. And you might get one wrong, right? I'm sure something will happen in two years where you're going to go, oh, you know, it turned out that actually when they were talking about this, um, you know, science has now proven this. It doesn't mean you were evil two years ago. Right. But, what, but, but in many ways what they're trying to do is they're trying to, they're trying to paint a certain set of people who think differently as evil. And that's very different. So even though, even though I have all sorts of criticisms towards this set of people, I don't think they're evil. I think I think a lot of it is just lazy thinking, and I think a lot of it is um, it's it's just it's lazy thinking plus the ease of using labels. Once you've labeled somebody a racist, you can just toss away everything else. And I and what I'm hopeful for is that it doesn't seem to be working that well anymore. And and as you've probably noticed during coronavirus. Identity politics seems to be kind of disappearing right now. And I don't think it's really gone in the long term. But, you know, when when the shit hits the fan, so to speak, and when we have real problem, I mean, a worldwide pandemic that is unlike anything we've ever seen in our lifetimes, it's like suddenly people realize, oh, you know, the scientist who might find the cure, it doesn't matter if he's a straight white man. That won't make him evil. And I think that that is becoming more and more obvious to people. Yeah. To tie it, to tie it back to nutrition, I mean, identity politics is, I think it's a... Uh, I would love if you could define that for because I'm sure that there are some listeners who are hearing that, that term for the first time. But I've found that there's actually a lot that identity politics are alive and well in the nutrition space because nutrition is one of these things everybody identifies so closely with how they eat. Right. You've got the carnivores, you've got the vegans. And I don't judge, but I've found that vegans, <laughs> so, some, not all, but are among the most vocal and can politicize a diet like nobody yeah. else. Now, if you like proclaim that you eat a balanced diet that includes animal products, they will cut like the lynch mob will come out of the woodwork and attack you, yeah. you know, for, for any number of reasons. So, well, it's, it's hysterical in nature and it's, it's religious in nature, which is interesting because generally people on the left, and I would guess that probably most of the people in the vegan community, I would say are, are probably hyper secular and, and in many cases, anti-religion, probably a lot of atheists. I, I'm, I'm ballparking it, but I think it's probably something like that. And you would think, well, this would be the most tolerant, open-minded group of people ever. If, if they're anti-religion and they don't like dogma and all of that, then you'd think it would be like this open, welcoming world and they everyone would love everybody and all that. But that's very rarely what you find. And by the way, the atheist community over the last couple of years has gone through their version of this, where for a year or two, there was this, uh, probably about six years ago, um, I spoke at something called the Reason Rally in in uh, in Washington D.C. at the at the mall, and it was like there was this interesting moment of like atheists coming together to try to be open and decent, and then social justice just infected it, and suddenly it was like you have too many white male speakers, you atheists, and we have to elevate this person and and knock out this person, and I think you're seeing some version of that in your own communities. But the the best way I could describe identity politics is it is grouping people based on the immutable characteristics of gender, of sexuality, of uh, ethnic origin, all of those things that we cannot change about ourselves. And then depending on those characteristics, you place them in a pecking order. So at the very, so if you picture a triangle, at the very bottom, the, mo the worst, most evil people possible, that's the straight white Christian man. And then, you know, you'd have 
uh, at the, closer to the top, you'd have gay people, but not gay white people anymore because they have too much privilege. And you, but but lesbians might be a little higher because they're supposed to be a little more oppressed than a than a gay male. It's a little more acceptable maybe to be a gay male, something like that. But a but a black lesbian would be above the white lesbian. I mean, all of this crazy stuff. And I know it sounds bananas, but it creates basically um, an oppression Olympics wow. where you're constantly competing. And and the thing is, when you're when you're competing with people on these characteristics you're always removing the human. There, there's no human to negotiate with. And, and we, the thing is, we all know this is the reverse of how we should behave. We all know this is the reverse of everything that is just about society. We all know that that Martin Luther King Jr. guy wanted his children to be, based, uh, to be judged based on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. These are things that are time-tested and right, and yet they flipped it they packaged it with rainbows and smiles and made it feel, and talk about diversity and inclusion, all these good words, and next thing you know, you're involved in something that is very, very different than what it's been sold as. Yeah, well, we're almost out of time. I know you gotta run, and I feel like we could keep talking for hours. We, we yeah. still owe each other that dinner. We gotta have that, you know. <laughs> that <laughs> we were, well, you moved back to LA. We were about to have dinner, and then the worldwide pandemic. Yeah. So, uh, um, I've just got one uh, last question. Could I? Could I bring you? I mean, if we socially distance, <laughs> could you come to the house? Because we're clean over here. I have no doubt yeah. you're doing it okay. You got your sauna now. I mean, you're living the life over there. I'm in my sauna. I'm consuming lots of vitamin C, and uh, we can wear masks. How about that? I'm okay with that. But how do you eat while wearing a mask? True. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up. We'll pick it up. Um, I got one last question for you before we get to that. Where can uh, listeners pick up your new book, which I highly recommend? Don't burn this book. It's actually not. Um, I d didn't actually get through much of Jordan Peterson's book because it was so thick. Yours, I feel like, yeah. is very digestible. It's like super well written, very funny. Definitely Thanks. for well, for free thinkers, it's a must. Well, thank you for that. I, I intentionally, you know, I have, obviously I've read 12 Rules and I was on tour with Jordan and yeah, Jordan's, it's, it's a dense book that you really have to challenge yourself through the ideas and it's sort of like, in many ways it's like swimming in mud. I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean, you gotta really work to get to the other end of the pool. What I wanted to do is, and why the book is, uh, you know, closer to 250 pages instead of 400 pages was, I wanted to give people an intro to these ideas, tell a little bit about my myself that they may not know, and give them some of the tools to, to go forward. And, and even in the chapter, uh, know your facts, not your, or check your facts, not your privilege. I make a point of saying all the issues that I'm talking about here, there are books, many books written on all of these things. I, I'm not writing a book on each one of these things. I'm trying to give you an outline of a couple pages to have, to have some, some sense of that. Uh, people could just go to don'tburnthisbook.com and uh, they can get the book and it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all those fancy places. Dude, it's so good. I want to be like the you of nutrition and of health and of wellness. I think I think you are. You're that's, better. That's my goal. And it's just it's so great to see how far you've come because back when, you know, when we were doing those like panel shows back in the day, <laughs> I would look at you and I would be like this guy is so freaking good at what he does. So, it's just uh, it's just awesome to see how far you've come. Well, um, I appreciate that and uh, yeah, I mean, you know how I feel about what you're doing and and that's what the cool that that's what life is all about, right? Like you, you start doing something and hopefully you do it well and you work hard and there's no privilege, in, nothing, nothing that is good that has come to us is because it magically 
appeared because of our skin color or anything else. Like we've busted our butts and the, and the success and the failure will come along with that. And, and you need to be proud of, of what you are and who you are and where you came from so that you can live, you know, some kind of sensible life. Yeah. Well, the last question that gets asked to everybody on this show, what does it mean to you, Dave Rubin, to live a genius life? To live a genius life, I would say, is is truly to do the best you can. And I think, you know, you have moments in life where suddenly you're doing it for a while, where like two months go by. And when you're doing it right, when you're making the right choices, and that could be food choices, that could be who you, who you live with, who you date, or whatever it might be, when you're doing what you know is right and what, what is giving you purpose, life kind of moves easy. It just, it goes a little bit faster. You'll go, oh, three months passed. Things have been pretty great. I forgot some of the problems that are always kind of hounding me. You know those, those commercials for all the prescription meds? There's this woman and she's got this cloud chasing her all the time. When you're living right, you forget that that cloud exists and yet, yet nobody lives in it. Like none of us are Jesus. Nobody lives in that all the time, right? So I think then suddenly old habits come back, you, you, you fail at this, you, you lie, you whatever it might be, you, you go on an eating binge for three days that you don't wanna be on, and you get sidetracked. But I think that in essence, to live a genius life would be to consistently try to do the best you can. And when you, when you deviate from that, because you're just a human, to, to not crush yourself for it, not you know, give yourself a little room to get back on that, and I can tell you that right now, I'm in a pretty good groove right now, and I have no doubt that that groove won't always be as good, um, and I probably just jinxed it by saying it, but I'm gonna try to stick in that groove for as long as I can, but you know, when the weekend comes and I throw down you know, a couple burgers and pizza and I probably get drunk on tequila and then feel like crap the next day and then decide not to do cardio and then it's three days later and I've gained four pounds and I'm pissed, and I, I will hopefully give myself enough space to not go completely crazy and get completely off track. And if I could do that, that seems pretty genius level to me. Damn, couldn't have said it better myself. Well, you are the man. Thank you so much for your time. Don't burn this book. You guys have to pick it up. It is really excellent. Um, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And uh, let me know what you thought about this episode. Text me at 310-299-9401 to uh, give me your feedback on this episode of the show. And I will catch you guys on the next episode. Peace.